This is a continuation of The Relevance of the Communist Manifesto by Slavoj Žižek. Fictitious Capital and the Return to Personal Domination It is this spectral dimension, underestimated by Marx himself, that allows us to account for the historical deadlock of Marxism. The mistake of Marxism was not just that it counted on the prospect of capitalism's final crisis, and therefore could not grasp how capitalism came out of each crisis strengthened. There is a much more tragic mistake at work in the classic body of Marxism, described in precise terms by Wolfgang Streeck. Marxism was right about the financial crisis of capitalism, we are clearly entering it today. But this crisis is just that, a prolonged process of decay and disintegration, with no easy Hegelian Aufhebung in sight. No agent to give this decay a positive twist and to transform it into a passage to some higher level of social organization. It is a Marxist, or better, modernist, prejudice that capitalism as a historical epoch will end only when a new, better society is in sight, and a revolutionary subject ready to implement it for the advancement of mankind. This presupposes a degree of political control over our common fate, of which we cannot even dream after the destruction of collective agency, and indeed the hope for it, in the neoliberal, globalist revolution. Streak enumerates different signs of this decay. Lower profit rate, the rise of corruption and violence, financialization, i.e. profit from the financial dealings that is parasitic upon value production. The paradox of the financial politics of the United States and European Union is that gigantic inputs of money fail to generate production, since they mostly disappear in the operations of fictitious capital. This is why one should reject the standard liberal Hakean interpretation of the exploding debt, the cost of welfare state. Data clearly show that the bulk of these inputs goes to feed financial capital and its profits. Along these lines, Rebecca Carson deploys how the financialization of capital, whereby most profit is generated in interest-bearing capital or money that creates money, M minus M prime, without a detour through the valorization of the labor force that produces surplus value, paradoxically leads to the return of direct personal relations of domination. Paradoxically, because, as Marx emphasized, M minus M prime is capital at its most impersonal and abstract. It is crucial to grasp here the link between three elements, fictitious capital, personal domination, and the social reproduction of labor power. Financial speculations take place before the fact of valorization. They mostly consist of credit operations and speculative investments where no money is yet spent on investment and production. Credit means debt, and therefore the subjects are bearers of this operation, not just individuals but banks and institutions that manage money, are not involved in the process only as subjects to the value form. They are also creditors and debtors, and hence subject to another form of power relation which is not based on the abstract domination of commodification. Hence, the particular power relation involved in credit operations has a personal dimension of dependency, credit debt, that is differentiated from abstract domination. This personal power relation, however, comes into being by the very process of exchange that is described abstractly by Marx as completely impersonal and formal, since the social relations of credit operations are built on the social relations of the value form. Hence the phenomenon of personal forms of dependency coming to the fore by way of the suspension of valorization with fictitious capital does not mean that abstract forms of domination are not also present. It may appear that the power dynamic implicit in fictitious capital is not a straightforward dichotomy between agents. 
While personal domination, by definition, occurs at the level of direct interaction, debtors are mainly not individuals but banks and hedge funds that speculate on future production, and in effect are not the operations of fictitious capital made more and more even without any direct intervention, that is, simply through computers that act on their programs. However, these operations have to be somehow retranslated into personal relations, and there abstraction appears as personal domination. Those who are not subjected to direct commodification but play a crucial role in the reproduction of labor force are also affected by the growing dependence on the future valorization that is supposed to be opened up by the circulation of fictitious capital. Fictitious capital is upheld in the expectation that valorization will occur in the future. Thus, the reproduction of labor power is put under pressure so that those not laboring in the present will be ready to labor in the future. This is why the topic of education, in its productive technocratic version, getting ready for the competitive job market, is so important today and also intertwined with debt. A student gets indebted in order to pay for his or her education, and this debt is expected to be repaid through self-commodification, that is, when the indebted student will get a job. Education also emerges as one of the main topics and discussions on how to deal with refugees, how to make them into a useful workforce. Since, in our society, free choice is elevated into a supreme value, social control and domination cannot be allowed to appear as infringing on the subject's freedom. They have to appear as, and be sustained by, the individual's very experience of themselves as free. There is a multitude of forms in which this unfreedom appears in the guise of its opposite. When we are deprived of universal healthcare, we are told that we are given a new freedom of choice namely to choose our healthcare provider. When we can no longer rely on long-term employment and are compelled to search for new precarious position every couple of years, we are told that we are given the opportunity to reinvent ourselves and discover new, unexpected creative potentials that lurked in our personality. When we have to pay for the education of our children, we are told that we become, quote, entrepreneurs of the self, quote, acting like a capitalist who has to choose freely how to invest the resources he or she possesses or borrows into education, health, travel, constantly bombarded by imposed free choices, forced to make decisions that we are, for the most part, not even properly qualified for, or do not possess enough information about, we increasingly experience our freedom as what it effectively is, a burden that deprives us of the true choice of change. Bourgeois society generally obliterates castes and other hierarchies, equalizing all individuals as market subjects divided only by class difference. But today's late capitalism, with its spontaneous ideology, endeavors to obliterate the class division itself by way of proclaiming us all self-entrepreneurs. The differences among us being merely quantitative. A big capitalist borrows hundreds of millions for his or her investment. A poor worker borrows a couple of thousands for his or her supplementary education. The expected outcome is that other divisions and hierarchies emerge. Experts and non-experts, full citizens and the excluded, religious, sexual, and other minorities. All the groups not yet included into the process of valorization, up to refugees and citizens of rogue countries, are thus progressively subsumed to forms of personal domination, from the organization of refugee camps to judicial control of those considered potential lawbreakers, a domination that tends to adopt a human face, as do social services intended to ease the refugees' smooth integration into our societies. Well, there you have it. We will resume with the section entitled The Limits of Verwertung. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash epic incredulity and make sure to enjoy your epoch.